Why Watch That is a podcast featuring the critic and referee who go head-to-head on a quest to discover the best movies and TV shows Hollywood has to offer. Expect the unexpected from the critic. Well, nothing gets past the ref. We do all the work. So you don't have to. Welcome Welcome to to Why Watch Watch That. This episode of Why Watch That is supported by Entrepreneur Meal Plan. It helps leaders and professionals feed their bodies and business as well. Do you know, Critic, I got Mm. a chance to attend a wonderful event by EMP here Uh in Los Angeles. And it was so amazing because Brandy Cochran was able to gather people from all sorts of walks of life. We were able to gather together, have real talk and some real good food too. Mm -hmm. It was a hit. It's food for the soul and the body, which is so hard to find. So if you want to learn more about Entrepreneur Meal Plan, whether you're an entrepreneur or not, go to entrepreneurmealplan.com. The Why Watch That TV Talk. Hey everybody, this is uh, coming to you, uh, we've got some TV stuff that we're going to talk about. We're also not going to ignore the fact that there is a lot going on in the world right now, and one of the best ways that Why Watch That can contribute is by just offering a little bit of refuge in between whatever you're doing, listeners. Um, as we navigate through these very uncharted or maybe charted waters, navigate again Mm -hmm. um, through these things. But we do want you to know that um, we are fully in support of you remaining safe and sound. And so just keep that in mind. But we do want to acknowledge the fact that why watch that sees (laughs) what is going on and and it has experienced some of those things in one way or form another. So just please know that as we are going through something that seems so trivial, but at the same time can really help the sanity just a little bit to dip away from the news and all of that. So there it is. Yes. Okay. So we have a couple season premieres of finales and a series finale Let's start with Split, which is on Sundance. Um, Again, Sundance is not going to be the network that you're going to go to if you really want to dive into a show for like 20 episodes. They're really an in and out kind of network that is going to tell a story. Now, is, is it always executed great? I mean, that's really left up to the critic who watches most, you know, I don't watch... I watched Rectify, so <laughs> I don't even want to talk about Rectify because <laughs> we'll go down a rabbit hole. But it really, I, I feel like I'm on a, a pedestal. I feel like I just cling the bell every single time we talk about Rectify. If you really haven't seen it, I think. Well, maybe wait. <laughs> maybe mm. it's kind of heavy. So mm-hmm. if, if you want to go heavy, Rectify is really, in my humble opinion, probably the best that Sundance has done. Um, But again, I am not looking at it quite as much as the critic 
but you're going to get a good story. And in this one, you've got six episodes. It's season two. So this isn't something they're continuing the story. And the question is, is it worth continuing? And how were the first episode or two? Yeah. um, So we're actually, it's two thirds done. At, okay. as of taping so it's two more episodes to go um so i can just i can really talk about it because i've seen most of it um so in this second season first of all the whole thing this is a, about um really a family a mother and her three daughters two of whom uh became lawyers like her in family law and how do they uh, actually move forward and become a major player in law, and this is of course in England here, because it's Sundance, we get a lot of things from across the pond on Sundance. So, in season two, we see that the oldest daughter, she wasn't working with mom and the middle daughter, but now they're all together because the firms have merged. And we know from season one, the oldest daughter, uh, played by Nicola Walker, Hannah, her husband was caught in a scandal. He was cheating on her and everybody knows it. Now, does she stay or does she go? They have kids, three of them. How does she navigate that? And the whole time, really for decades, she has also had a relationship, we don't know what kind, with another man who works at the firm with her. Okay, a man she knew before her husband and who her husband knows. They're all friends. What's going on? What's going to come to fruition? And what is going to be Hannah's response to her husband's infidelity? Also, her mother, you know, they're trying to push her out. They're saying, hey, it's time to retire. But is she ready to go? The middle daughter, she's having some relationship issues of her own, and she gets some news that's unexpected. The youngest daughter, well, she's married and she's trying to have uh, a child with her husband, but they're struggling. Does that change or not? And along the way, just as we saw in the first season, in the second season, there is one major case that Hannah has to handle. And this time it's a couple who's famous, very famous, and it doesn't look good. So the question is, Will Hannah be able to navigate her personal and professional lives coming out unscathed? We know, moving into the final two episodes, something's going to happen that's very bad for Hannah in regard to this case. Will that damage not only her, but also the firm and who was behind it? Because at the firm, because of this merger, they have somebody who is looking into everyone and making sure that they are actually needed at the firm, or maybe they're not. So that's where we are in season two of, of The Split. And what I'll say is for The Split, it does have these kind of soap opera storylines. But here's the thing. If you like soap operas that are responsible, then this is the one for you. So you can watch it, not really be embarrassed, but still get some of those juicy tidbits. These are level-headed performances and writing and things like that, even though the stuff can get kind of crazy story-wise. So that's the split. I enjoy it. Do I love it? I wouldn't say I love it, but I enjoy it. It's a nice kind of show to watch now. It's not quite like anything else, and it's respectable. 
as far let's, as the execution. <laughs> let's move on to another season of Homecoming, which stars Janelle Monet and Chris Cooper, love him, along with the returning stars from the first season, Stefan James, who was really, you know, leading the charge with that, along with Hong Cho on Amazon. I remember the first season, it was based on the podcast uh, of the same name, and it starred Julia Roberts um, and Stefan. Now Janelle Monet is taking the, uh, the lead in this. And again, this is not something that you have to spend a lot of your time watching, meaning it's only about six or seven episodes and you can kind of go in and out. Now, remember the first season of Homecoming was a little, it's, it's, it's kind of a, um, it's strange, shall we say. It was shot strange, executed strangely. Um, the folks from iRobot were a part of that making and having it come to be. We'll see if season two is as equally artistic, shall we say. Um, and, you know, it's Janelle's first lead of a TV series. So curious to see what's going on here. Yeah, and, and you know, after um, moving from season one to season two, the whole creative team is a little different, okay? So, you know, Sam Esmail is still executive producing, but, you know, it's not him doing it. So what happens with this transfer? That's the question. Well, like you said, Janelle Monet is the lead this time. And what we see from the beginning is she wakes up and she's in a little boat in the water. She doesn't know where she is, who she is, what's going on. In the distance on land, she sees a man. Hey, hey, she says, help me. You know, he walks away. What's that about? So as she figures out a way to row herself back to land, she tries to figure out what's going on. Who is she? What's going on? She finds some little clues. And all of this leads her back to a little place that we know from season one, a facility run by the Geist Group. And they have this homecoming center. And we know from season one with Stefan James's character, who is a military vet, that they were experimenting on them with a drug for PTSD and so on. So this season really just picks right up after the end of season one. And Janelle Monet, well, how, how does her character even relate to any of this? She doesn't even know who she is. Uh, now she does have a relationship to these people, but what is it? Uh, Hong Chao's character, uh, Audrey, who we saw at the end of season one, who showed up and told Bobby Cannavale, essentially, you're done, I'm taking over. What's her story? You figure that out. Also, who's the person who owns this? There's a character played by, oh yes, Chris Cooper, who is behind all of this, but is he really behind all of it? Also showing up here is Joan Cusack in this season. She's somebody from the government, I'll put it that way. What does she have to do with this? So that's really the question. The question is, as you're watching it, who is Janelle Monet's character? Who is this person? How does she tie in? And what do we know more about what we saw in season one? Also, what about Stefan James's character? What's going on with him? Because I'll tell you, 
He, of course, is connected to Janelle Monet, but how? That's the question. And that connection did lead to her lead to her having no memory. But does she get it back? So I'll say for this season, instead of 10 episodes, it was seven. So it's even shorter. And these episodes are, you know, around 30 minutes. So it's not a lot to watch. I did enjoy from the beginning watching Janelle Monet's character trying to figure out what exactly how she fit into the story. That to me was interesting and they don't belabor the point. A lot of episodes, I was like, oh, that's the end. Oh, oh, okay, moving on to the next one. When you kind of get to the end and it starts becoming clearer what's happening, I didn't quite have as much fun. I wasn't quite as interested anymore by the end, but again, it's a really quick watch. So if you watch the first season, uh, and you're interested in this, you can watch this. Um, it's pretty quick again, but just know it might peter out a bit at the end. Great advice. Moving on to the second season of Rami. Now, if you don't know anything about Rami, at the Golden Globes, I believe he did quite well. It, it It's on Hulu. Again, it's the second season, 10 episodes about, but no one really was waving the flag with Rami but out of nowhere, it started to it started to pick up, and he got his recognition um, as the star of the show. I can't remember what else the show got, but I know that he received an award. Listen, it's coming back. So Hulu is they got a they got a cash cow here. <laughs> They've got a good hit, and they're not slowing up as you as we've been talking. Hulu's really solid. Yeah, um, and uh, Rami, he won for Best Actor, actually, at the Golden Globes, um, which I was like, oh, interesting. Like, I, I was so happy he won, but I was like, actor, interesting. Now- Well, but he's not mm-hmm. the only, that's not all he does, though, which is interesting. That's why it's interesting. Exactly, and, and you know, I would have given it to the show. Now, um, this season, like you're saying, Ref, uh, Rami, he wrote or co-wrote every episode and he directed four of them. So he was really involved in behind the scenes, even more than the first season. Uh, of course, he did writing then and some directing, but he did it even more in season two. And what we're seeing in season two for Rami, the character, is again, he's trying to figure out really his place in the world. Who is he? Uh, what kind of relationships can he even uh, be involved in? Um, he's very unclear what's his relationship uh, to to God, his religion, to being an Egyptian American and a Muslim and being with his family and trying to get uh, his own family maybe and getting, what is he doing at work? Like all of this stuff comes to a head and he really figures out, or maybe he's told, that he does have problems, especially when it comes to relating to women. So what's that all about? He does have issues with sex that he needs to work through. And we know something really just shocking happened at the end of season one when he went to Egypt and uh, was staying with his cousins, with his family members there. What in the world and how does that come forward into season two? Now in season two, Uh, Rami gets a little heads up from one of his friends uh, at the mosque. His friend says, hey, I'm leaving this mosque. I'm going to another one. He says, I gave them my two weeks notice and I'm leaving. All right. He wants to go to be in uh, to be a Sufi. So he's like, Rami, you should come with me. You would like it. It's cool. 
Now, the difference in mosques is stark. Uh, for instance, at the Sufi mosque, uh, they don't separate men and women. They worship together. Uh, the, the actual sheikh at the mosque, the person at the head of it, is a black man played by Mahershala Ali. Oh, good well. You know what? I did see posters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Rami almost has this codependent relationship with Mahershala's character. He's like, I need you. Please guide me. Tell me what to do. I'll do whatever you say. Now, how does the sheikh respond to this? Because the sheikh hears Rami's story. And is he really pleased? I mean, he can't really show it. But he's like, okay, Rami, you need some help. And eventually the sheikh goes, I don't even think I'm the one to help you. Instead, I want you to take this dog. Okay, let the dog guide your spiritual journey. Why? Where did this dog come from? Because Rami, and as this is going on, is also trying to help people. He's trying to become a positive influence. And he does meet a young uh, war vet who's having trouble. He met him at his friend's restaurant. The friend wouldn't give the guy a job. He said, you know, I don't really trust him. Rami figures out a way to get him a job at uh, the Sheikh's mosque. But what comes of that? Also, the Sheikh has a daughter. And this daughter is very smart. But she's very serious about her religion. And the because of certain events, uh, the mosque is in trouble financially. They have a backer who wants to pull out. So the daughter's in charge of going to get this money. And how does Rami help with that or not? And then what happens in the end? Because we know it all comes back to Rami's relationships with women. In addition, we don't just see Rami's perspective. We also, as we saw in season one, we get an episode for his mother, who's still a Lyft driver, or is she? Because she has problems with saying things to people. We see the perspective of his father, who wants the best for his son and his daughter. But what's that struggle like for him? We see Rami's sister again in a different light from season one. She's still having some problems of her own. We see this season Rami's uncle, who is abrasive. And this is his mother's brother. So they're kind of peas in the same pod not knowing how to talk to people, but we get to understand what's really going on with this uncle and so on and so forth. So in Rami, you get a very specific story of, hey, a young Egyptian American man. And that's what the selling point is. If you want to go through him dealing with his spiritual journey and everything else, struggling with certain other things and making some big mistakes, some big ones, ones when you cringe, well, then this is the show for you. Comparing it to season one, season two is probably not as good, but I still really enjoyed it. I mean, this show, again, it's about half an hour per episode. It's 10 episodes total. I really, I binged the whole thing at once. It was nice to see Mahershala playing this role and really trying to figure out how can I keep my composure with this young man and guide him or not. It was nice to have uh, you know, his daughter come in. That was a nice little angle that we had here in addition to everything else so if you liked season one i would say definitely check out season two but the point about season two i also want to make is season one it really came out of nowhere this was really something fresh we didn't even know what we were getting now you kind of know so that's a part of why season two you might go okay i really like that but maybe i didn't love it as much as season one but if you saw season one watch season two if you haven't seen season one you can start it but no 
This is a show for adults, especially thematically. All right, moving on to some season finales. Killing Eve has concluded its third season. Now, who would have thought for that one as well? Um, it, and again, it's no stranger to the award shows. It's definitely done its fair share of winning in various acting um, realms. This is, again, on AMC, but you can also catch it on BBC America. And just so you know, it's already been renewed for the fourth season. Now, I'm, like, trying to figure this out because I haven't started it yet. But I don't know why I automatically leap to Idris Elba's, um, uh, oh, dear, I just, the, the name just escaped me, his show. Um, Luther? Luther. Mm. About, you know, just that relationship between, I, I, it's completely different, I know, I think there's more comedic um, elements that Killing Eve can have. But just that relationship with, you know, a deranged person and a person who is, you know, of the law. I'm like, how long can this go? But people are eating it up. And the question is, did season three warrant its season four return? Yeah. And I think your perspective there is is a really good one. It is a more comedic kind of thing, but a similar kind of relationship. Also, the question is, uh, if you are dealing with this deranged killer as someone who is in law enforcement, if you're connected to them, why? What's going on with you? Exactly. Okay. That, and that's the point of Luther is like, hmm, let's side-eye you for a second. <laughs> Exactly. So that's the thing that's going on here. Now in season two, um, Eve Pilastri played by Sandra Oh. Wait, season two or season three? Season three, sorry. Oh, okay, gotcha. Eve Pilastri gotcha. played by Sandra Oh. She's supposed to be dead. I mean, Villanelle, the deranged killer. Her name is Villanelle? Villanelle, yeah. Or Ox- oh. Oksana is her real name. Oh, oh okay. Okay, so her, you know, her assassin name. It's Villanelle. Villanelle. Villanelle, yes. So she was, Villanelle tried to kill her at the end of season two. So On season, purpose? Yes. I'm sorry. Point okay. blank. Oh, yeah. I'm going to have to listen to some of your other reviews of this because I'm a little, mm-hmm. I thought they were good friends, but apparently. No, no, no. We wouldn't. I mean, I thought they were in love or, I don't know what yes. I thought. Well, it's, you could call it a love-hate relationship. Um, that's probably it. Now, uh, they are attracted to one another, but after you try to kill somebody, is that still there? You <laughs> it's know? not as attractive. I mean, maybe you're into it, Critic. I don't know. <laughs> and Eve is married. Okay. To a man? Yes. Oh, yeah. It's complicated. Mm-hmm. So, you know, she's trying to deal with that. Now, Eve is also married, really married to her job, but she's lost the job in season three at the beginning. And her former boss, played by Fiona Shaw, Carolyn, well, Carolyn has secrets. Let's put it that way. And Carolyn did rope her son into the business, along with Eve. Now, Carolyn also has a daughter, but the daughter's not in the business. So what's going on with all of those relationships? Also, it is killing Eve, so someone dies. 
and it does have a serious impact on these characters. Now, what's happening is, while Eva's on the outside of MI6 now, she does find a little independent uh, kind of newspaper. And that's where Carolyn's son ended up, because he's no longer working there either. So Eve goes there, starts working with them to try to figure out what's really going on behind Villanelle and the people who employ her in Russia. And it's this cabal called the Twelve. Now, MI6, they also want to know what's going on with the Twelve as well. So who's going to get there first? Are they going to work together? Who can you trust? Who can't you trust? Villanelle has a new handler. Oh, yes, and this new handler, what's she about? Because Villanelle's old one, this guy, he's just still, you know, doing his thing. And he, we figure out, has a little more up his sleeve than we thought. Is he a member of the 12 or not? Is he a member of all kinds of secret organizations? That's really the question. So in the end, of course, this all comes to a head. Of course, we see a slow motion move toward Villanelle and Eve meeting again. When they do, what's the reaction going to be? Is it going to be explosive at the end of season three like it was at the end of season two? Or are they back to being kind of friendly enemies? Well, you'll have to watch it to find out if you didn't see it. Now, I'll say that Killing Eve is consistently bonkers. That's the show. I mean, hello, we, we do have Phoebe Waller-Bridge involved here. So that's the thing. If you are on its wavelength, it's consistently interesting, even when it doesn't work. Um, I do like that each uh, season is eight episodes because there's only so much of this you can take. Um, and they do a good job of telling the story and keeping you engaged and keeping you entertained. The cast is really, really good. There's Sandra Oh, there's Jodie Comer as Villanelle. I mentioned Fiona Shaw and so on and so forth. So they're just having fun, but it's fun in an artistic way. So if that's your kind of thing where you want artistic fun and maybe you like some of Phoebe's other stuff, then I would say certainly check out Killing Eve. We do have season four, as you mentioned, and who knows where we're going next. I know this, wherever we're going, it'll be unexpected and weird. Well, this is something that really bumps me. I did not get to see the end episode of this show, so I will maybe mute you, or I don't know, <laughs> let's do something, take my ear out. Um, I won't spoil it. Well, we're of course talking about the good fight. This is season four, already picked up for season five. Now, as we all know, with the situation with COVID-19, we've had, Hollywood has, has had to take a strong pause as the world has. And some of these shows were in the middle of shooting and some of these other shows were in the middle of a strong post um, season. And in the good fight, they did a whole little segment in the beginning talking about the, you know, them having to pause on, you know, their post, you know, just, it was abrupt and they had to scramble to get some things together. And they kind of even drew you a chart all over the world, like where post teams are and who's doing ADR and la, 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 la. 
And even in, I don't know if you caught it, but even in um, the opening, there's this, if you haven't seen it, I don't want to ruin it because it's kind of, it's beautiful. It's a slow motion opening of things happening to certain things. And in one of them, it said, it had, it had like a card inserted, like, this is supposed to blow up. And then this is supposed to blow up. So really, this show, if you love the good fight, or good, excuse me, the good wife, the good fight is its playful cousin. Mm. You know, it, you you don't know what it's got, you're going to get. You could get a song. You can get, you could, you could get anything. Yeah. But what we do know this season is that Nemo 618 mm. creeping up all throughout. It has given Diane the biggest headache. And not only that, her cases are disappearing. What is going on here? Now, the episode I saw tried to explain it, didn't quite understand it. The question is, by the time we get to the end, is Memo 618 exposed? Who's behind it? And what does that mean going forward? Yeah. Can it be exposed? Well, that's a good, especially when you watch that penultimate episode. It seems mm-hmm. pretty, seems like the tentacles are deep. Exactly. And and we do get an even deeper tentacle in the finale, which wasn't supposed to be the season finale. However. Right, right. Along with Diane, as you mentioned in Memo 618, is Judge Julius. Mm. Okay. Now, Judge Julius... He, I mentioned it earlier at the start of the season when I reviewed it. He's first time judge. He's very excited. He wants to do some good from his perspective. But Memo 618 shows up. And he has to learn that that means that, no, you don't do what you want to do. You do what they, in quotes, want you to do. Who's they? Is it the government? If it is the government, who in the government? Is it larger than the government? Is it like billionaires? How long ago has this, or how long has this been going on? How long has it been going on? What has it been involved in? Has it, does it explain everything that makes no sense in the world? So Julius is caught up in this. He goes along for the ride because he wants to keep his career. He does meet a former judge who gives him some insight. I'll put it that way. Now, by the end of this season, in the seventh episode, we do see what Julius decides to do about this with Diane's help, but what is the outcome? That's the question. So, along with that, in the final episode, they take on, just brace yourselves, Jeffrey Epstein. Oh, yes, I, uh, yeah, whoa, okay. Now, the whole episode is about this. The firm, is tasked with investigating his death. They pull some real stuff into here, a lot of it. And you're like, wait, is, was that, did that really happen? Is that real? It was interesting how they put this all together. The truth with the fiction. Mm. So this connects to Memo 618. Mm. So it's not just a frivolous thing that they wanted to do. So like you said, it's the playful cousin of the good wife. That's exactly right. And that, but the playfulness, they still have a message. And the thing about the show is they're not afraid to ding all kinds of people. Even the liberal, like even you would think they would, that first episode, you think they would have left Hillary Clinton alone, but they didn't. Yes. 
So, yeah, so they will go where they need to go and no one is safe. Also at the firm, they've been taken over by John Larroquette. Hmm. Now, how long does that last? What is his motive? What is he up to? Why did he buy this firm? Hmm? Uh, So this is what the partners, the name partners want to get to the bottom of. Can they? Can they do it? Audra McDonald, Delroy Lindo, hello. Okay. Uh, so with them, with Diane, oh, what happens at the end? That's the question. So there are a lot of questions left hanging in the air because at the end of this season, the real question is what's the state of this firm? How many people will be in its employ? Will it still be in existence? Will it not be in existence? All of those things need to be answered in the next season. So I will say that for this truncated season, I do want to see what happens next. Um, we know that they had to end. You can't hold that against them. Uh, I, I think that they are always coming up with new ideas, new ways to tell a legal story. I mean, they've been doing this starting with The Good Wife how many years? So I'm still enjoying this. I really am enjoying the acting. Every time I look at this, I mean, we all know that Christine Baranski is lovely and Delroy Lindo, but I always look at Audrey McDonald and go, this is a stage actor, singer, who if I were didn't know it was Audrey, I'd be like, okay, that's a TV actor. No, so, she's really doing an excellent job. Excellent. Um, and we have other people who've joined the mix here and, and spice things up as well. So I, I'm just enjoying watching it. David Lee, seeing him come back, seeing what's going on with Luca. So it's that kind of thing. If you've been watching this uh, already, you'll continue. There's no reason to stop. And, and they really haven't lost it because this show always has tangents. That's the difference between this and The Good Wife but the tangents are enjoyable for the most part. And just to put a button on that, it's relevant, meaning, you know, there was an episode where they just, the DNC was wanting the feedback of the firm, not not the overall firm, but the firm, the black firm for the yeah. most part. And boy, those conversations got really, really interesting to the point where some words started flying out and you'd be surprised by the time you get to the end of the episode, what happens as a result of those words flying out and who, you know, yes. um, was most uh, vocal in that. So anyway, all that to say, The Good Wife is definitely worth if you're already getting CBS All Access, because we know that Viacom CBS has is starting to merge all their content on that platform, my suggestion and critic the critic may disagree, but I really would suggest that if, if unless you're a Star Trek fan, that's different. But I would start here. I would start with this show as far as its original content. I think you can't go wrong, and I also think it's okay. If you didn't watch The Good Wife, I think it's okay. But I also watched The Good Wife, so there you go. (laughs) Let's talk about FX's um, latest star snag. Um, Kate Blanchett has led us through nine episodes of Mrs. America on FX on Hulu. And again, we all know that this is not a 
season finale. It's a series finale. It's a mini series. It's it's not something that we're gonna see over and over again. Although who knows, Big Little Lies and other just if it's popular enough, Kate Blanchett will come back as I don't know. Who knows? But the fact of the matter is, this was her first American television show, and quite frankly, I watched I think the first four episodes, and the critic and I were talking about this offline. She is a wonder, mm. an absolute wonder to watch. But the cool thing about this show is that she ain't the only one. <laughs> you got Tracy Ullman who uh. says, uh, uh, excuse me. <laughs> you are not the only actress from Australia. You know what, Ref, just watch the final episode, her scene in the uh, hair salon with Gloria Steinem. I just want you to watch that little snippet. Oh, well, okay. I have an opinion yeah. about Mrs. America. I, I, I had to fall off because it, it just got a little too wide angled for me. I, I was really enjoying this battle between Kate Blanchett's character and specific women, not just kind of going on a tangent with other women, but for the sake of Kate, mm. I may check out that last scene. But you did finish it, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and like you said, it is a mixed bag stylistically. Like, watching it over the episodes, you're like, what is the show? But before I get to that, Kate Blanchett plays Phyllis Schlafly, who is uh, a smart conservative woman um, who is against the ERA, the Equal Rights Amendment. Uh, and this is during the 70s. So they're trying to get this ratified. You know, uh, 38 states have to pass it for it to be uh, become, you know, law of the land uh, or an amendment, I should say. Okay. So, you know, the at the beginning of the series, this is happening. You know, I, uh, these states are signing on. Things are looking good. Uh, the progressive movement is feeling very confident until Phyllis shows up. And Phyllis wasn't even focused on it. No, she wasn't. Until Sarah Paulson's character gave her some materials to read. Now, for Phyllis, is she really against the ERA? Or does she spot it as an opportunity for some other things that she wants to get done? That's always the question. And her character is so interesting because she really lives a progressive life, but yeah. espouses regressive ideas. And it's that along with Kate Blanchett that makes this show. It's that. It's that internal conflict. So when we go to the other side, the progressive side, it just doesn't have as much steam. Yeah. Because you don't have that kind of character played by Kate Blanchett. So when you're watching the show, it's kind of like, where's Kate? Mm -hmm. As you're watching it. Now, look, the cast here is one of the most amazing casts ever in TV history. So uh, let's be clear about that. Yeah. And what I do want to talk about as we move to the more progressive side, this is where we have Gloria Steinem, we have Betty Friedan, we have Bella Abzug, uh, we have Shirley Chisholm going on over there, and so on and so forth. Um, the thing that's going on on the progressive side is that Gloria Steinem's character, we'll say character in this case, is written very blandly. She's vacillating. We don't quite know where she stands. Yeah. She's not quite sure. It wasn't clear. I don't think they gave Rose Byrne enough no. to stand out. And it's glaring when you watch it because there's it's, so 
Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. And I think also the acting, what do you have to do? <laughs> yeah. yeah there's, like, there's really nothing for her to do. She's almost like a wallflower. It's like, okay, this is Gloria Steinem. I mean, even if Gloria Steinem was that, write it differently. <laughs> okay. Agreed. Yeah. And plus, she's in the area with all of these vibrant, strong characters. Right. Character. Tracy Ullman. Oh my gosh, I can't even. We could have, she could have her own show. I actually would like to see it. I, but about her dating life. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to see the episode. That and the interaction with her ex-husband slash. Yeah. I'll take that. And the other thing about her character, Ref, is there is dimension. There's internal yes. conflict a bit in there. They didn't go all the way with it, but there is. Because she ain't down with everything that the progressives are down with. And right. she will say it. <laughs> yes, That's when the show is the, it's at its best. It's not just internal conflict, but the internal conflict in the groups. When things are gray, when it's not quite clear, that's when it comes to life. And that's when you give these actors something to do. Tracy, I mean, the, she was never off. Never. I just, just her and Kate Blanchett, when she's talking, she's like, look, I mean, you know, did you read my book? I mean, I'm the one who started this movement in the first place. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it's just great things going on. Uh, even uh, they, they did a parallel ref. We were talking about how uh, they had a debate between Betty Friedan, played by yes. uh, uh, Tracy Ullman, and Phyllis Schlafly. They then did another debate after that with Phyllis and somebody else from the progressive movement. Uh-oh. That went a little differently. So it's just when they are there, it works. It's just you don't know what you're going to get from episode to episode. And I do want to say this as well. I mentioned Kate Blanchett. I mentioned Tracy Ullman. I also want to highlight Sarah Paulson. Mm. Sarah Paulson is playing against type. We don't expect her to be someone who's conservative, all of that. But... And I was talking about this with my brother as we finished this series. In a way, this is her story. They just didn't know it. Mm. Or they knew it too late. Because she's the only one really who changes. She's the one who has a complete arc. So when we see her, we can see uh, Phyllis through her prism. We can see the progressive side through her prism. She ends up somewhere in the middle. So what does that mean for Phyllis? Because this was really Phyllis's friend and the person that Phyllis knew she could rely on, meaning boss around. So what happens with that tension? Because when we get the episode that Sarah Paulson had to carry herself, that was about her character, which made no sense for the show, but they had Sarah Paulson doing it. It was a marvel of acting. Another one, just a marvel of acting, what she was doing. Just floating through, because she's at this convention and she's supposed to be against the ERA, but she meets some people for it. And she maybe encounters some substances. Uh-oh. I mean, there's a scene, we talked about it, when she <laughs> is laying down and like has this bowl and she's eating and Nisi Dash is looking at her and it was perfect pairing her with Nisi Dash so we get those looks. And she's like, I, I think I found a new way to eat. I mean, it's stuff like that, Mm-mm. where it was so rich. I just wish 
that they knew how to tell the story more consistently and they knew really where the heart was. I get it. They want to go through all of these people. We have Mark Martindale. I mean, she's doing great stuff as usual and so on and so forth. Uh, so I will say if you haven't seen Mrs. America and you're interested in seeing this slice of history, this important slice of history, I would say definitely watch it. I am not mad at it after finishing it. I just see how it could have been great. For me, it was good and inconsistent overall. But when it was going, when it was on, it was on. Kate Blanchett. You better learn something. I mean, Kate Blanchett. Well, there you have it. These are some options for you if you need just a slight little break from what's going on in the world. I don't know what to tell you. Kate Blanchett, if you don't win something, <laughs> we just throw up our hands. Thanks for listening. For additional resources, visit whywatchthat.com. Good idea, and we'd love to hear from you. So go ahead and leave comments, feedback, and you can rate us on iTunes. We'll see you next week. See you.